got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Happy Tuesday to you. The worst day of the week for Nick Springer. Although, is today, is this week Wednesday the worst day of the week? Um, because we had Monday off. Okay, I was just thinking though. Today has felt like Monday to me all day. Right. So, I, or, I don't know. I guess. Or can well, there not no, be because, a worse day? No, of the there week? is no worse day today okay. or this week because today would be today feels like a Monday. So it's like whatever. But then, but the, but see again to circle back to the logic behind the reasoning why it's Tuesday's the worst day. By the time you get to tomorrow, you're almost to, you're halfway to Friday. Well, I mean, technically you're not halfway. To, you're close. You're getting you're close enough to Friday to where you, you start. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So this week, I guess, yeah, I, I don't I don't think uh, there would be any any bad day this week. I mean, today's been kind of whatever. I guess coming off of a three day weekend, so you know. Yeah. Well, KU was pretty dominant. We're going to discuss that a lot today. We've got a bunch of guests on today's show. Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, going to join us at three forty. Uh, we're also going to have Kevin Flaherty at four forty. Those are our regular. Uh, Tuesday guests. We also have Tony Caridi, who is the voice of the West Virginia Mountaineers, does their play-by-play for them. He's going to help us get an early look at West Virginia. The wait is over. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is officially live in Kansas just in time for football season. That means betting legally on same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, and more anytime and anywhere across the Sunflower State. To celebrate, DraftKings is giving new Kansas customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just $5 on anything and get $200 in free bets instantly. I uh, I had an okay weekend with betting and everything. The LSU game at the end um, was kind of weird, the, but, the, but the two moneymakers for me, Clemson... Covering late over Georgia Tech, that Cade Klubnick guy, the, the five-star coming in, scoring that last touchdown to cover the spread. That, that was huge. The North Carolina-Appalachian State game. That game was wild. It was wild, and it was a moneymaker. <laughs> Big time. I had the over in that game, and it hit in, Oh yeah, it, it hit like three hours before the game even ended. I had North Carolina over team points of 26 and a half. <laughs> that felt pretty good. I, I will say, though, I, w- I was on Georgia Tech, so I was feeling pretty good for I'm like sorry. 50 minutes. <laughs> more, even more than that, really. I was, I was like, all right, we're good. In fact, I, in fact, I stopped watching the game. Mm. I stopped watching the game, and I came back and looked, and somehow, yeah, some they way, just exploded toward the finish line. I don't, I, I don't even know what happened. No, no, because the <laughs> offense of Clemson, that is the most deceiving forty-one points you'll ever see. That's but, why I thought yeah. I was golden. I was like, there's no way, there's no way. Mm-hmm. Come on. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KLWN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on anything. That's code KLWN, only a DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. Bonus issued as free bets. One early win token issued at opt-in. Moneyline bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility in terms at DraftKings.com slash 
Kansas on behalf of Boot Hill Resort and Casino. So KU Downs, Tennessee Tech, they won by so much, they are now ranked 84th in the ESPN SP+, which that's like the highest that I think I've ever seen Kansas in the years I've been covering them. <laughs> 2019, they were 104th. 2018, they finished 100th. They're 84th right now, so they did a lot to uh, help their efficiency rating in that game last uh, Friday against Tennessee Tech. It was the biggest opening night crowd in eight years, which probably gives you a good indication of where things feel about the program. I'm trying to think eight years would have been... 2014. Which would have, I believe, been uh, Charlie Weiss at that point had Jake Heaps starting a quarterback for the first time and Dane Chris just finished, so there was excitement maybe building around the program. Um, but you know what? The momentum is building. You could see it at the stadium. You could feel it around the traffic of Lawrence. It was hard to maneuver everywhere. It was kind of uh, yeah. nice in a weird way. Um, but, I mean, I'm curious now after seeing that attendance and the way that they played in that first game, which we'll get into more in-depth stuff on this because clearly Tennessee Tech was not a great team. They were bad. No, they weren't. But if, if KU is competitive or beats West Virginia – and same thing with Houston. Like, you win one of the next two, or you're just really competitive in both of them. What do you think the crowd's looking like for Duke? Do you think it can get to 40,000? I don't know. I feel like it might be able to, because I was thinking in my mind, you know, there's high school football. There was other stuff going on on Friday night, and they were still a pretty, obviously, very sizable crowd. And I was thinking, if this is like a afternoon kickoff Saturday, right, it could definitely get there. I feel like it could definitely get there if if – if KU's competitive in these next two games, I think I think it's very plausible. Uh, now, I will say one thing. When I was out for the game on Friday night, I, w- I was out at the game, the tailgate situation I was a little disappointed in. There was not very many people out on the hill doing anything there. But then I got to the stadium, and everybody was in there. So I guess, yeah. I don't know. There was just Maybe because it was a Friday night, people were just getting off work. I think that's what it was. Or whatever, but, but, yeah, I mean, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be possible. If you got nice weather, and KU, like, like I said, if they beat West Virginia – or if they come close in both games. Yeah, I mean, to me, it feels like this game against West Virginia now becomes important because you've got all this momentum, and you want to feel like it's stuck to something. So it ne- this needs to be a close game against West Virginia or a competitive game, I think. Mm-hmm. And if that continues, then you can start to say, okay, now we're building and we're not – it's not going to be a situation where here's all this program momentum and then it, there's just a cliff and it all goes away. So from that standpoint – and obviously, I think pretty much all KU fans are aware of the fact that after Tennessee Tech game, Duke is the most winnable game on KU's schedule. So, yeah, I don't, I don't see any reason why you can't bring more people out if, if these next two games are closer even maybe in KU's favor. Mm-hmm. Okay, so KU beat down, I, I almost wanted to say Rhode Island there, um, but no, Tennessee <laughs> Tech, 56-10. to 10. The Rhode Island game was 55-6. to 6. And we went into this game saying, you know, I don't think it's quite Rhode Island uh, – it's it's closer to that than maybe it is to like South Dakota though. Yeah, for sure. After watching them play, it, where would you rank Tennessee Tech on the scale of, you know, I guess one being like North Dakota State, the best of the best in FCS, to ten being Rhode Island? I think they've just based off of one game. Now again, they have a new offensive coordinator, they got a new quarterback, this, that, and the other. Just based off of that game though, they've got to be like a in eight or an eight point five. Or nine, I mean, it was really bad. They were getting they were getting dominated pretty much in all facets. I mean, think about the positives that happened for Tennessee Tech in that game. There was a muffed punt by Kansas that they recovered that they didn't even turn into any points. By the way, I don't think. And then after that, there was pretty much nothing to speak of for them at all. 
until you got to the second half when KU had kind of pretty much let up at that point. So it was not good. It was not pretty for Tennessee Tech. There was one play early in the game where it was a third and nine, and they ran a speed option. And I was like, what are you, what are you guys doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least try to get the first down. So I, w- I would say 8.5. And I don't want to be mean, but 8.5. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a lot better than that Rhode Island team. I do think it is better. There, this is just one site. It's called Versus Sports, and they have like these these metrics of ratings of teams based on their efficiency, kind of in a different way of like ESPN SB Plus or Ken Palm or something. That Rhode Island team in 2016 finished 105th among FCS teams. Tennessee Tech last season was 96th. I would imagine this Tennessee Tech team is going to be better than last year's team. It won three games, but they have a better quarterback now. Your star running back is back to the team. Um, they should at least be comparable, if not better, than they were last season. So they're probably better than that Rhode Island team, but not by a lot. Either way, it was clearly an overmatch there. I mean, 96, that's only... No. Oh, I can't do math. That's only nine it's spots only nine better. Spots. But again, if they're better than they were last year, which I would think they should be, then maybe it's 20 spots higher. But like that Rhode Island team in 2016, they lost to James Madison 84 to 7. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like I get it, but here's the thing that that's different about even if it was the same competition. KU in that Rhode Island game, because why are we talking about this? That KU team beat down Rhode Island, it didn't all of a sudden turn into, oh, they beat them down because look how good they are. That team only won one other game, the weird one against Texas where it took like six Longhorn turnovers to beat them. This year's team, I view that performance, and it doesn't make me say, because of the competition, it doesn't make me say, oh, I had them winning three games a week ago, now I think they're going to win four, but I'll be honest, it makes me feel more confident about three. It makes me feel like four could possibly be more likely because of how it happened. KU physically dominated that game. KU won that game in the trenches. KU dominated with offensive line play, with defensive line play. Even if we go back to that 2016 game against Rhode Island, that wasn't really the case. Rhode Island in that game, their quarterback went 6 of 23 for 49 yards. Rhode Island as a team ran for over 4 yards per carry. They had 40 rushes for 170 yards, which is good for... Uh, 4.3 yards per carry. So, like, they didn't have, like, an outstanding rushing game, but that's, like, if you're trying to be absolutely dominant in a game, like, that's more than you should have. For instance, Kansas against Tennessee Tech. Tennessee Tech had 43 carries for 93 yards. That's 2.2 yards per carry. So you cut that in half. I know that's not all just about the line of scrimmage, but that is a lot about physicality. How about KU rushing the ball? In that Rhode Island game, Kansas ran the ball 35 times for 171 yards. 4.9 yards per carry, that's solid numbers. But again, in a game you should be dominating, it should probably be more than that. It should probably be what you did on Friday. You had 30 carries for 297 yards. That's 10 yards a carry, essentially. You had six touchdowns. Like, it's not even close to me. The reason that you blew out Rhode Island so much in 2016, you threw for 399 yards, three different quarterbacks threw for a touchdown. You just out-athleted them on the outside. I think we knew coming in, KU was going to have better athletes, and that didn't change coming away from it. What we didn't know is how physically dominant KU could be, and they absolutely physically dominated Tennessee Tech, which I think is a good sign. doesn't mean you're going to physically dominate West Virginia or any of your upcoming opponents, but maybe it means you can be a little bit closer to the pack than what we've seen in years past. I mean, like we discussed coming up to this Tennessee Tech game, this needed to be a convincing game. It, ne- it needed to feel like a dominating mm-hmm. game. And, and it was. It was. To, to KU's credit, it was. 
And now I think, but I don't think it's something that you want to sort of rest on your laurels about and be like, oh, okay, yeah, what a great win for KU, whatever. Like, this needs to be something that you put in the rearview mirror and move forward, right? Continue to build on that. Because, like I said, this is pretty much par for the course of kind of maybe not what we were expecting, but what we were kind of hoping for was uh, a really convincing, solid win, all-around great team effort, which we had all three phases of KU looked really good besides the muff punt, and they missed a field goal. But, I mean, yeah, so this is pretty much, I think, really almost best-case scenario for KU in this game, but I don't think it changes like you were saying. I don't think it really is like, oh, no, KU's going to now go, they're going to win six games instead of four, they're going to win whatever, right? Like, I don't think this game really changes that mindset right now. Now, depending on what happens against West Virginia, maybe it does. But I I agree. I think for for the time being, this was a game where what happened is what we were sort of expecting to happen, where KU looked really good, got a convincing win. It was maybe a bit more dominating than we expected maybe in the trenches. I mean, what do you think? Did you think mm-hmm. it was – were you surprised by that? I, I thought they'd be better in the trenches than them, but, like, let's let's flash back to last year against South Dakota. Again, much better team in South Dakota than you played in Tennessee Tech, but KU wasn't able to get any push on the offensive line. Defensive front, they had four tackles for loss last year against South Dakota. You gave up nine. So the defense had nine tackles for loss with South Dakota – um, basically, KU was out TFL'd 4-9 to nine, is basically what I'm trying to say here. Yep. Against Tennessee Tech, you out TFL'd them 12-2. to two. I didn't expect that vast of a turnaround. That was very impressive. And Lonnie Phelps, by the way, that dude looked like the best player on the field. Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week. Yeah, I think very deservedly so. Um, <laughs> yeah. Leads the team in tackles, three sacks, four TFLs. He, he was unbelievable. Yes, I, I, I agree. I think he was the best player on the field, certainly on defense. Mm-hmm. So that was, again, I don't want I don't want to use the term surprise, but a pleasant surprise. Like he he was a guy that had came in and was a lot of hype around him from pretty much the the moment he announced he was coming to KU, and it showed in this first game. Now again, against not a very impressive opponent, so can he replicate that in Big Twelve play? Because as we talked about last week. Monty Phelps is certainly a re- a key ingredient in the recipe for success for KU if they want to exceed expectations in terms of wins this season, right? He's somebody that they need to produce at a steady to elite level pretty much every week uh, for, as part of what they want to achieve in terms of getting more wins. So we saw that in this game against Tennessee Tech. Hopefully he can continue to do that because you're right. He looked, he looked amazing. He looked really, really good uh, in that game against Tennessee Tech. Yeah, and I get it. Like with Lonnie Phelps, it's the same thing that you could be saying about KU as a team. Yeah, they look great. Yeah, they dominated. But look at the opponent. You could be saying that with Lonnie Phelps because the question with Lonnie Phelps transferring over wasn't, hey, we know he was great in the MAC. How is he going to do against FCS teams? No, of course that wasn't a question. It's, <laughs> he looked great in the MAC. How is he going to do against Power Five? How is he going to do against Big 12 competition? But like, would you rather the alternative? Would you rather he didn't dominate? Would you rather KU won by 17? No, of course. You'd rather have this. And uh, it's it's not the be-all, end-all. It doesn't mean that KU is going to even beat West Virginia or be competitive with them. But it was a positive sign of progress from even just about 365 days earlier when you played South Dakota a year ago. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We'll get to more from week one of action coming up here in just a little bit. Matt Tate will join us in 20 minutes. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.
Welcome back in to Rock Shock Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. And that time on a Tuesday, joined now by Matt Tate of Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. So, Matt, KU dominates Tennessee Tech. Um, obviously wasn't you know a great FCS team, but KU looked pretty physically dominant in that game. Did you come out of week one more optimistic about the amount of games that KU could win or could be competitive in, or did that not change based on the opponent after week one? Yeah, nothing changed. I mean, that, that was... That was what they had to do um, to even to even be relevant in those types of conversations, uh, at least for my money. And and they did it, and they should feel great about it. And uh, and it seemed like they did. It didn't seem like anybody felt overly great about it. I mean, I know they were happy, but there was also a lot of uh, talk about you know this next game is a lot harder. This next game is going to take an even better effort, more focus, all those things. And and for those guys to understand that. Friday night after a 56 to 10 win, I, th- I think that shows you exactly where they're at in terms of the, the, the development and progression of this program. It's, uh, you know, in the past that would have been shut down mastery. Let's have, let's have a party the rest of the weekend because this just doesn't happen here and it doesn't happen here, but those guys expected it to happen and then went out and made it, made it happen. So, um, I, I, I just think that, you know, from a confidence standpoint and from the standpoint of, of them doing what they needed to do uh, to get into the game, basically, you know, that they did it. And, and now is when we start to find out a lot more about what this team is, is made of and, and what they're about. And a bunch of fans that are jumping on Twitter that are saying, take the Hawks this weekend, guaranteed, plus 13 or 15 or 16 or whatever you can get it at now. Definitely covering that, and I, you know, maybe they will. And if they do, that's great. If they win the game, even better. But right now, you still have to remember that that this is a, a team and a program that's starting from a very, very low point, and and at least to me, needs to continue to prove a little bit more before anything's automatic, especially a road conference game. You know, so um, I, I think the players know that. I definitely know the coaches know that, and and. Fans are fans for a reason, so good for them for enjoying it. It's it's not it's not very often that you get to enjoy anything related to Kansas football as a KU fan, and so good for them for for jumping on it and having fun with it. But um, this week's a whole different story. So, what would they need to do this week for you to, I guess, jump on the the hype bandwagon right now of the idea that hey, maybe they could win four games, maybe they could you know, be competitive in all these other games? Uh, what would need to happen? Would they have to win? Would they have to have a close loss? Like, what would give you that feeling about this team? I think a close loss would, would be would be um, enough. You know, I mean, uh, obviously part of it is is about how the loss happens and things like that. You know, there have been some games that, that weren't close that ended up close on the scoreboard, and so you'd have to, you know, kind of take that into account too. But... Um, but I think if they go up there and cover, I mean, look, this is a West Virginia team that, that um, in a lot of ways beat itself last week against Pitt, which is a, a much better opponent, obviously, than Tennessee Tech. And uh, that was in a road environment and a, a rivalry game. And, and I thought West Virginia made a ton of mistakes and, and uh, had a lot of miscues. And, and like I said, I think maybe in a lot of ways beat themselves. And so they're fuming. And, and, you know, this is the thing that, that's tough for Kansas 
in the state that it's in, um, you as much as you can get teams in the conference to overlook you, you can also get teams that that make sure they don't lose to you, right? Like there's a there's a big element of that in play here. Like, yeah, we might have lost to Pitt and we might be upset, but we're damn sure not losing to KU. You know, let's get this locked in and focus and use this as a springboard to, to get our season on track. And and you know. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. I, I do think that based on the two outcomes and the two games that I saw, I think I, I, I will give KU a much better chance to be in this game than maybe I would have eight days ago. Um, but I kind of always thought it was one that you shouldn't write off. I didn't think it was impossible to think KU could have a chance to win this game or go up there and play well and compete. So it didn't really change, getting back to your first question. But, um, but yeah, they, they would have to – they would have to be in the game, maybe have a chance to win, and not just have it be a close score. I think they, they, if they go up there and do that, I think then my interest peaks a little bit. I, I, I would probably think a little bit differently about the Houston game. Um, and then I would definitely start to wonder if, if maybe this team's turned a corner a little bit earlier than, than we realized or even thought. But, um, but man, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a tough challenge. There's no question about it. And, and you, you maybe would have rather uh, West Virginia went ahead and won that game and played sloppy uh, than lost it. Because, like I said, there's no doubt that those guys are, are going to be pretty upset and, and you know, ready to, to get that taste out of their mouths at the expense of Kansas. Well, it's tough for me with this one is that, like, if you look at it and, and Kansas loses by three or they lose by seven, right, in a Big 12 road game, like, that would be considered a success. And and I'm not saying that it wouldn't be. But also, from a standpoint of, like, if you're just prognosticating the Big 12, West Virginia is probably expected to be, I don't know, the eighth or ninth best team in the Big 12 if Kansas right. is supposed to be last. So, at, at one end, you would say, oh, that's that's successful. You had a road game that was competitive. But also, you could be looking at it and say, man, they let an opportunity slip through the cracks there, and that was one of their few chances at a win, and it didn't happen. So like, I, there's a part of me that wonders if you are going to get on the idea that KU could win four more games, that they might just have to win this one. I, I, I would not argue that. I would not argue that because of the way the schedule sets up. You're right. I mean, the this, this schedule is front-loaded with opportunity, um, especially in the conference, and the I guess the counter to that, or if you're playing devil's advocate, is is that you know this team, this coach, this coaching staff, this program, in a very small sample size, has shown that they do get better as the season goes on. So um, you'd probably rather have some of these games at the back end and go ahead and take your lumps with Oklahoma or K State or whoever uh, on the front side of the schedule, and then get the Texas Techs and West Virginias and TCUs on the back end and when you've had time to improve. But I do think there was a significant amount of improvement that took place in the offseason, and I think the week one effort shows that. That was a lousy football team they played. It's not anything that you should brag about or feel like KU is going to score 56 points a game or anything crazy like that. Tennessee Tech is not a good football team, but Kansas executed um, Kansas was efficient. Kansas had multiple guys on both sides of the ball make plays. And, and I think to me, that was what, what, what stood out as much as anything. It was, it was a, a very real look at 
the fact that this is a team that is better organized, um, more prepared, has more depth, has more playmakers on both sides of the ball than we've seen in a long time. And, and, uh, and then those players went out and made plays and, and put up a, a score like 56 to 10 that, that is going to catch anybody's attention. Um, again, it's what they were supposed to do. So you don't get bonus points for it. It's not anything special. There's no parade. But it would have been really bad news if they won that game 24 to 20. You know, and so we've seen that in the past. And, and to, to not see that this year, I do think that shows you something. And so um, while I fully believe they can still improve um, from September 2nd to November 2nd, uh, I don't know if it will be as drastic as it was last year where they really looked like a good football team in November because I think they're starting from that point this year, from an organizational standpoint and a depth standpoint and just a you know comfort standpoint. So um, there's still room to improve, and they should get better, and they need to get better. But uh, I just don't know if the gap is going to be quite as, as big as it was last year or as obvious and noticeable. But that's why they play them, and, and we'll find that out. Matt, there was a lot of talk, obviously, before the season about the the running back room for Kansas and how much talent they had there. And we got to see all of them on display on Friday night. What what were some of your takeaways from seeing those guys in action, all all of them? I mean, obviously, we saw four. We saw five, actually, Tory Lockman got in. What what was your takeaway from seeing all those different running backs on Friday night? Yeah, I I think everything you saw was, you know, perfect, really. I mean, four of the five got in the end zone, um, or four, right? Three of the four? Three of the four, I guess, um, got in the end zone. And uh, I'm not counting Lachlan there, so three of the five. There's my math. I knew it would come in handy sometime. Um, But, but, you know, that's important. They stayed fresh. Uh, I think you saw with Devin Neal's 80-yard touchdown run that, uh, he and maybe all of them in some ways, their weapons, anytime they're on the field, as long as they can stay fresh and keep putting fresh legs out there. And um, I thought the offensive line looked really good, and, and there was a lot to like about that. Uh, again, you have to take it all with a grain of salt, and you can't overanalyze it or put too much into it because of the opponent. But coming into the game, that was the biggest thing I was wanting to see, not just the running backs, but the line. And, uh, I think, you know, everybody will tell you the game's won in the trenches, and, and if KU was able to come out there and, and manhandle the, the defensive front from Tennessee Tech, then that's a good sign. And if they struggle, then that's a really bad sign. And, and they did. They dictated the way the game went. They protected Jalen for the most part. Um, they opened up holes. They got those running backs opportunities. And, uh, and, and so that's a great starting point for, for a line that, that should be pretty good. So, um, you know, when you combine the fact that those guys are all able to stay fresh and they're unselfish and the line looks pretty good, you know, there's there's no reason to to think any different about the running game than you did all off season. It it should be a strength and it looks like it is and, and uh it, it's a hot hand situation, I think. I mean I do think Devin Neal's probably going to get uh, a little bit more opportunity and and there there might be if they were going to ride one guy it might be him um a little bit more than the others but you know he wants to win they all want to win that's all that matters and and so if he's got a night where he's just not feeling it or doesn't have his burst or whatever it is 
you know, I think he'd be happy on the sideline if, if he's out there watching Kai Thomas and, and Sevion Morrison do it. You know, I mean, that's it, it, it's all a team thing for them. And so I think you saw enough from them the other night against limited competition to sort of validate what we've heard all offseason, that that's a strength and, and that there's a lot of talent there. Uh, and now, like the rest of the team, like the coaches, like everybody on that roster, they, they've got to, you know, turn it up another notch heading into week two and, and show that they can do it on a, on a bigger stage against a tougher opponent. And if they do that, then, uh, you know, you just keep talking about how good they are. You, you, you know, that's, uh, that will be a, an accomplishment, something, something significant if they're able to go up to West Virginia and run the ball and, and have success. All right, you can't pick Lonnie Phelps. That's too obvious an answer. Uh, which other player who did not play for the 2021 team? So it can either be a transfer, a freshman, somebody who was injured, just whatever reason didn't play last year, stood out the most to you in the opener for KU? Oh, man, that's tough. Yeah, Phelps would have been too easy of an answer. You're right. Um, holy cow. I <laughs> Jeez, man, you make these so hard on me sometimes. Um, And it shouldn't be hard. There were a lot of guys, but maybe that's the problem here. Um, You know, I I guess I would say Quentin Skinner. No, you can't pick him either. I can't? I'm just joking. I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, God. Freaked me out. I was about to go outside and start raging on my uh, bushes in the front. I just, you know, wouldn't have handled that very well. Uh, no, I'll take him. Uh, I mean, I thought their defensive front looked great. I thought their front seven looked great, and a lot of that was Phelps. Um, you know, but 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 I really thought. I mean, I thought Malcolm Lee looked great. I thought Caleb Sampson looked good. I thought, you know, there was there were a lot of guys. The linebackers, Gilliard and Young, both made plays. You know, um, so so. That was the unit or the group that stood out to me the most. But I, I think the fact that that Quentin Skinner made a big time play down the field and, and looked really good doing it, and, and it was early in the game, to me that's that's a weapon. That's something we had heard a lot about, but didn't really know what they had there. And not only did he, you know, put pretty good performance on the field for his first game, but he also did it on the heels of, of a little bit of trouble with that wide receiver room. And you lose two guys that you thought were going to play significant snaps and, and in Trevor uh, Wilson and Tanaka Scott, and they were both suspended. And, and then, you know, hey, there's this, there's this tall, long, fast freshman out there who looks pretty good. And, uh, you know, boom, right away he makes the play and he, and he flashes. And, and so – um, I, I, you know, I think that wide receiver is a big question with this team, and and um, you got some answers pretty pretty early in that game, and from some important places. Uh, obviously, he's won. Luke Grimm had a had a pretty good game. Obviously, he had a special teams mishap, but his uh, his game as a as a wide receiver was really good. And uh, I obviously couldn't pick him because you wouldn't let me. Um, that was not within the rules there, so I didn't because I follow the rules always. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think those two guys both looked really good. And, uh, and I thought L.J. Arnold did too, you know. And, and so when you look at kind of a, a bigger question mark as a position, plenty of potential there, but, but you just didn't know what it was going to look like. You take two guys off the, off the roster, and then you don't know what it's going to look like behind them. And, and then all of a sudden that group looked pretty good. Uh, that's a credit to Jalen Daniels. For, for getting them the ball and, and putting them in position to make plays. That's credit to the offensive line. 
for, for giving him time to get them the ball and things of that nature. Andy Kobelnicki calling the plays as well. They all get credit for that, but the receivers went out and did it. And so um, I think Skinner, to me at least, was a, was a, was a great representation of, of exactly that whole embodiment and just what that meant for week one. And again, just like the rest of the team, now they got to go do it again, and they got to do it against better competition and, and, and uh, see if they can continue uh, to, to progress that way. He is Matt Tate. You can check out all his work in the Lawrence Journal world and at KUSports.com. Matt, appreciate the time as always, man. All right, Derek. Have a good week, man. Thank you, guys. All right, that's Matt Tate. Again, check him out, KUSports.com and in the LJ world. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout when we come back. Top of the 4 o'clock hour, we're going to be joined by Tony Caridi, the voice of the West Virginia Mountaineers. That on the other side, you're listening to RCST on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, the KLWN app. Depend on it. KU taking on West Virginia on Saturday. Game kicks off at 5 o'clock. Pre-game will start here on KLWN at 3.30. Of course, from the West Virginia side of things, you'll be able to hear the game with Tony Caridi, the voice of the Mountaineers play-by-play for West Virginia. And uh, Tony, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to hop on with us here. Obviously, week one was, was quite an adventure, I would imagine, from West Virginia with taking on Pittsburgh, a rivalry that gets renewed. It's a close game against top 25 opponent and the way that that one finished, certainly. So do you think that the close loss that the Mountaineers suffered in that one to a rival, like, does that make things more difficult to ramp back up headed into week two against Kansas? Or do you think because of how they lost the game, it might make them, I guess, a little bit more flexible to getting ready and and off of a big game like that to where they are going to be kind of chomping at the bit to overcome that last result. I think that it could go both ways. My personal belief is that they will respond well from it. I think that there were a lot of questions about this Mountaineer team going into that game against Pitt because of the unknowns. So so many new players uh, on the roster from a year ago, 33 total newcomers into the program, including the quarterback, JT Daniels. And so going into it, just a tremendous number of questions as to how it all would mesh together. I think the answer is that it meshed together well, and uh, they literally took down uh, you know, Pitt to the final play. So you're right that potentially those kinds of losses can leave a team in a funk. I don't necessarily see that happening. Actually, I think it's going to be the opposite. Again, that's just my gut. Been wrong before. But my gut is that they will respond well. They realize that league play is now and that uh, this Kansas team played them well last season at the end of the season in Lawrence. And I, I think they'll, they'll go, go out and they'll be very efficient, I would think. What would you say was the biggest positive that you did take away from the West Virginia side of things in week one? And, and maybe on the other side of that, like what is the biggest question you're still uh, looking to get kind of answered with this team headed into the matchup with KU? I think what was encouraging was that they were able to run the ball for 190 yards. I think it was encouraging on an individual level that we have a true freshman by the name of C.J. Donaldson um, who's at 240 pounds and was recruited as a tight end, and he exploded. And He's the newcomer of the week in the uh, in the league this week. Uh, came out of nowhere, and I think you take him along with Tony Mathis, uh, who Kansas fans saw 
late last season, had a good game against the Jayhawks, and finished strong last year. I, I think the running game. I think that defensively there were a lot of losses uh, from this unit, and for the most part uh, they played well. I mean, they sacked Pitt five times and uh, were really, really strong. Now, obviously, we knew going into the year that the back half of the defense was going to be young, but yet at the same time athletic and skilled, and how long that was going to take for them to come together is the question. And I think that's the area that needs improvement. We had some bad angles on some tackles. And, uh, you know, other than that, uh, just the normal stuff that you get from game one to game two. I think that there's a lot of uh, areas where they can get better, and the quarterback, certainly JT Daniels, proved to be as good as advertised. Tony, for KU in their first game against Tennessee Tech, their run game was really their biggest strength. They averaged almost 10 yards a carry. West Virginia held Pittsburgh only 76 yards. How do you see that clash of the KU run game versus the West Virginia run defense in this game? Well, it's huge. Uh, it's huge. I, I've got nothing but respect for um, Coach Leipold. Um, I'm from outside of Buffalo, and for what he was able to do in Buffalo, I know how hard that is. So i got tremendous respect uh, for what he's done, and obviously in his past stop at Wisconsin uh, as well. So they're going to be good. Um, you know, Devin Neal didn't play in last year's game. Ironically, or I guess coincidentally, uh, Kai Thomas did play against West Virginia in the bowl game last year, and he hit him for a buck forty-two and was the MVP. So this is good. You know, you're going to find out exactly where you are, um, and I think that that'll be the matchup, right? And I think in any football game, whether you're a pass team or an air raid team or not, ultimately it comes down to your ability to run the ball when you have to. And so the same is said for this week. You know, Kansas is going to obviously um, try and have to establish the run game, and I know you guys got, you know, I think four quality backs um, that can run the football. That'll really be what this comes down to. Can West Virginia once again um, put up another strong effort in stopping the run? Yeah, what is what is the idea of the offense for the Mountaineers? Because obviously Graham Harrell, you know, coming over as OC, and when you think of him back in his playing days in the Big Twelve, you just think of, you know, run and shoot air raid offense with Mike Leach just throwing the ball all over the field. But then obviously you have the big running game from a week ago. What is kind of the identity of that West Virginia offense with JT Daniels kind of leading the way? I think it is a misnomer to say that just because Graham Harrell came from the leech tree that he's going to throw it around a lot. And I think we've all started to see that, right? We've seen Dana Holgerson uh, evolve as a play caller, and even though he's a leech guy, um, you know, these guys that came from the leech tree they have started to lean more toward, not more toward, but they've certainly gone toward run, where in the in the past it would break people out in hives uh, if you would try to, to, to run the ball like these guys are running it now. I think the best way to describe it, and talking to Graham Harrell last week, he says he thinks the one constant of the air raid is that philosophically, you identify a relatively small number of plays 
and you work those plays. And I think that is the essence of what Mike Leach and Hell Mummy did, is they, they, they weren't really super complicated. They instead said, we're going to pick out a handful of plays, and we're going to, we're going to rep those at such a high frequency that we're going to become just extremely elite in running those plays, and then window dress them through formations and things like that. And I think to answer your question, that would probably be what the idea of this West Virginia offense is going to be. They're going to find out exactly what it is they do extremely well, rep the heck out of it, and become really good at it. And whether if that is you know certain runs and certain passes, that all still works for them. But I don't think it's that old school air raid just chuck and duck every snap. You know, last year's game obviously was pretty close, 34-28 the final. And, you know, when you look at, I guess, the past series with KU and West Virginia, there have been some other close games that have been played in Lawrence, but specifically in Morgantown, KU's never won in Morgantown. And the series that has been played in West Virginia, it sees a lot of double-digit wins and, and stuff for West Virginia there. Uh, what sticks out to you the most, I guess, about this this short-lived series that really just got enacted uh, at the start of the new Big 12, I guess, in the uh, late 2010s? And, and do you think because of the way last year finished that does, I guess, keep West Virginia on higher alert for this year as opposed to being a team that, you know, we've seen in the past, like maybe an OU last year coming into Lawrence and maybe you kind of overlook KU and, and that almost costs you a game. But I, I would imagine that wouldn't really be the case for West Virginia here. I think that if the players are listening, which I think they are, and they're going to hear Neil Brown all week long, and that's his message to them. If you go back and take a look at KU's last four games, you had the Texas win. You had a last possession situation with TCU. You had a very tight game with WVU. And then you had a uh, pounding of Tennessee Tech this past weekend. I mean, look at that. Um, what more do you need to see uh, to show that Kansas is on a quick uphill climb here? And so I think that's what you sell. Uh, that's certainly what the coaching staff is selling and believing. And I think as a result of that, that they will have collectively West Virginia's attention. Is there, besides that that running game of KU versus the West Virginia run defense, is there another matchup, whether it's individually, whether it is just team-related, uh, that maybe is, is most intriguing to you in this game? Well, from West Virginia's perspective, we've got to hold on to the ball. We had six drops in that game against Pitt, six clean drops that would have equated to more than 100 yards of passing that just went away. Probably would have won the game. Obviously, you guys saw the, the last play, um, the deflection through the hands. And so I would say from that standpoint, yeah, that's what you need to do. Catch the ball and and just that's it, right? That's And that's been problematic for us really um, – Two seasons ago, it was really bad. Last season, it improved. And then if you're going to play you know, high-level football and win games against ranked teams and be a ranked team, you make the plays that you have to make. In other words, the regular routine play needs to be a staple. And that's what's been lacking, among other things. And so when you start to do that, then games turn differently. And so I would say from West Virginia's standpoint, just catch the ball and go from there. Well, Tony, I appreciate you uh, taking some time out of your day for this. Before I do let you go, if there's going to be any 
KU fans who are making the the trek over to Morgantown. Any recommendations for spots to eat or places to go when you're in Morgantown? So I would say if you just want that sports bar feel, and they'll be very warm and uh, and and inviting to you. There's a place called Kegler's, and it is where we host the Neil Brown Talk Show. Um, I would put that on your spot, super close to the stadium. You can walk over to the stadium um, from there. Uh, really good wings, really good bar food stuff. Um, three different levels, very inviting. Uh, people will treat you right. So I'd say Kegler's. And can I ask you a question before I? Absolutely. Is there really a statue in Lawrence under construction of Brian Haney? <laughs> if there's not, there should be. We're, we're leading. Uh, we are leading uh, the committee. We're leading the committee <laughs> to, to get it done. Don't worry. Yeah, I mean, if there's anything like I can do, like make a smaller donation or something like that, I'd be more than happy to do that. It's time. It's needed. Yeah, yeah. Well, we need to get one over here. He he started this very show, so we got to get a, like a I don't know a brass or, or a bronze head or something. Oh, that absolutely. Can, you know, rub on yeah. the way in for good luck on well, the show. I'm totally with you. Like a, <laughs> at least a bust. Yes. At least a bust. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we can. You know, uh, maybe have a sign or something with a picture of his face on it, so we can slap it like the Notre yeah. Dame players. Perfect. That that be maybe like maybe a smaller statue of like David Lawrence, like right next to him. Yes. That'd be good too. Yeah, although that one might be too large because his hands are just so darn big, right? Very big hands. Yeah, very big hands. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Tony, I appreciate the time, man, and uh, have fun on the call this weekend. All right, thanks. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. That's Tony Caridi, voice of the West Virginia Mountaineers. He'll be on the play-by-play duty for West Virginia, as he always is for their uh, game on their end over on Saturday. We'll talk with the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, coming up later this week on RCST. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Twenty minutes till five. This is RCST on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So, Kevin, uh, we did our Big Twelve kind of fantasy draft from last week. If you had the ability to take someone that none of us took, that maybe got overlooked, or maybe ended up having a really big week one that maybe you didn't really expect. Um, who would be that player or players that would stick out to you? You know, it's tough to say. Obviously, you know, if you're replacing somebody on your roster, I I would have to uh, replace uh, Tyler Shuck, you know, with the the injury and everything. And so I would would probably look at a a quarterback. But I think, you know, it's interesting – I'm not sure if you're talking just generally like who you would think about picking up. I thought Xavier Hutchinson at wide receiver has a chance to to have a really big year for, for Iowa State. And I was, I was pretty impressed with Hunter Deckers in that game as well. I think that, you know, he's going to have somebody that's going to have a chance to uh, to score touchdowns on the ground and through the air. And so he'll be, be one to watch and, it's funny, Derek. I know you'll get a get a kick out of this. You know, on our podcast this weekend, we got a question from somebody who asked, you know, with him only getting four carries, whether the University of Kansas should redshirt Devin Neal. <laughs> and uh, and you know, leaving that aside, I do think Devin Neal, you know, putting up a 108 yards on four carries, scoring twice. I, I don't see that happening. 
you know, in any other games this year, I would be stunned if Devin Neal doesn't approach the uh, the double-digit carry mark from here on. It was a really impressive debut for the year. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, let me ask you this. There's obviously a big one, but oh, well, I guess two, between uh, future Big 12 schools and current Big 12 schools this week. We have Houston taking on Tennessee, or not Tennessee Tech, Texas Tech, and we have U, uh, BYU taking on Baylor. If I were to give you the option of which representation has the higher-ranked team, so whatever the top team from that representation is higher, the highest-ranked Big 12 school or the highest-ranked 2023 add-on, so UCF, Cincinnati, BYU, and Houston, which of those two categories are you taking? Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's a tough deal. Are we saying like what their rank will be? Bit later this year, yeah. By the end of the season, whoever the top representative from either one is, which will be higher. Uh, I I think I'd probably go with the Big Twelve, but I I'm not definitely not certain in that. I, I think BYU has a chance to to make a statement against Baylor this weekend, and I really like Baylor. I mean, you know that I picked Baylor to win the conference, but if BYU wins that game, and BYU's got a pretty good roster and potentially another NFL quarterback, we could be looking at, at sort of another year where BYU pushes up into that top five, top ten range with the schedule that the Cougars are going to have. And so I, I will go ahead and pick the Big 12, but at the same time I do think this weekend could wind up deciding the answer to that question. Yeah, that's that's part of why I asked because I, I – like I don't know, Baylor's got a really good roster and everything, but I I really am interested by this BYU team, and I know there's been some talk about Houston possibly having the goods to be an undefeated team in the AAC this year, and and we'll see if that ends up happening. But with BYU, like you look at that schedule and you see the Baylor game, you see at Oregon the following week, the the Notre Dame game that's on there, uh, Arkansas as well. Like, do you think an eleven and one BYU? has a shot at the playoff? I think there's a very real chance there. And I think that BYU, you know, kind of similar to, to the way you and I were talking about Cincinnati last year and that, you know, Cincinnati going and playing Notre Dame and, and having the the schedule that Cincinnati had last year, if you know that you're going to have that type of year, you feel like that's a possibility there's really no reason not to schedule like that, to give yourself a chance to potentially make the college football playoff. And so I, I do think what's interesting about this is the point that you just made where it, you know, Cincinnati had to be perfect even with all of that to reach the college football playoff. BYU's schedule has enough difficulty, although let's be honest, Georgia kind of dented that Oregon game pretty significantly, but if Oregon winds up still, you know, being the best team in the Pac-12 or, or one of the best teams out west, then BYU does have a chance at 11 and one to to kind of be the rare, you know, non-power five team at least for another year that does make the college football playoff because of the difficulty of that schedule and how many chances they'll have to make a statement. Yeah, I. I uh was talking earlier with with Nick we were doing a, a segment about the Big 12 and Texas obviously has a big one this week with Alabama and I asked the question like what would Texas have to lose by to make you feel better about them being a Big 12 contender like if they lost by 17 is that enough to make you feel like hey they, they kind of hung in there with Alabama like maybe they could win the Big 12 what would that number be for you 
You know, I, I actually, I, I think 17 makes you feel that way, and I'll be 100% honest with you, Derek. I'm not sure it even stops at that point. <laughs> Depending on the way the game plays out, you know, because you know, let's be honest here, not all 20-point losses are the same, but if Texas loses this thing by three touchdowns, maybe even, you know, by 24 points, I think you could still come out of that with a scenario where you say, you know, Texas really isn't that bad at this point. And especially with the freshman offensive linemen, with the different things that you figure with viewers being young, that where you feel like Texas is going to continue to get better over the course of the year. And so I, I do think that there's a very large point total where you would still come away feeling like, hey, you know, Texas lost 48 to 24 or whatever, but they hung around for, for three quarters or, you know, maybe this team isn't that bad. And so I do think, you know, the way the game plays out is part of that. But I also think that Alabama is, is so good, projected to be so dominant, that I think that there are, there are some pretty high point totals there where Texas could lose by 17 and you could, you know, walk away saying, you know, Texas isn't really that bad, and and that's the amazing thing about this game for Texas. I tend to think, you know, Sarkeesian said this week that this game is not going to determine, you know, Texas's season. You know, it's a chance for them to to come out and play a really good team, but their goal is to do well in the Big 12. I tend to think that opener, I believe, against Texas Tech and Lubbock is probably going to be a game that really tells us a lot about where this Texas team is at, because I expect that to be a really rabid atmosphere for Texas to go out to. And and I think that's kind of the game where you circle and say, okay, if, if Texas goes into Lubbock and, you know, and holds up well and wins there, I think that's more where you start looking at, okay, do we actually have a feeling on how good this Texas team is? We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Now that you have seen week one and, and seen some of these guys in their new places with Quinn Ewers and Dylan Gabriel and whatnot, did week one further support the idea that Jalen Daniels could be a top-half quarterback in the Big 12, or did it make it maybe a little more difficult? Derek, I was walking out of the stadium on Friday night after the game, and the uh, there were a couple guys behind us, and I think some of it was in jest, but then they kind of started really talking about the whole Jalen Daniels for Heisman thing. <laughs> and one of them was saying, you know, hey, if, if Kansas goes to a bowl game, you know, you, you don't know, but I, I don't think he can get there. And obviously, you know, you don't think that that Jalen is, is going to be the, the first Heisman Trophy winner in school history this year. But I tell you what, that ball to Quentin Skinner that he threw – is something that translates against any opponent that you play. And some of the plays that he made in that opener, you know, starting 14 for 15, I believe, in the first half, right? And the first, the only incompletion was the fade route, which is kind of a low percentage throw anyway. And, you know, it, it got in the receiver's hands. Yeah, that was, that was a really impressive half with some big time, you know, NFL caliber throws even. And so I do think that when you look at it from that perspective, I think Kansas tends to get slept on sometimes on all Big 12 teams because I think people say sometimes when they see a Ben Heaney or, or somebody like that, 
yeah, that guy is good for Kansas, but, you know, he wouldn't start at Oklahoma or he wouldn't start at Texas, fairly or unfairly. And in Heaney's case, I, I think he could have played just about anywhere, but that's the reputation. And I think what makes Daniels so intriguing as a potential top half of the league quarterback, which I think he does have the ability to be, is even though he's he's a shorter guy, maybe isn't built like the, the quote-unquote five-star guys or, or whatever else, Jalen makes some of the plays that you would expect those guys to make. And so it's not necessarily, hey, this, this guy with the BB arm is out there you know, completing short throws, and he threw for 300 yards, but he attempted 55 passes. It's more that, you know, Daniels is capable of making the defense fear him because he can make the throws that inspire fear in a defense where you try and say, hey, the boundary is a long ways away. We don't think he can make that throw, and he makes it. Where you say, hey, if he gets out of the pocket – let this guy go deep because he can't make that throw on the run. And Jalen Daniels can make that deep throw on the run, or as we saw in the squit on the Skinner pass, you know, a really quick sort of reset, you know, where he didn't even really set his feet. And I think he threw the ball about 55 yards downfield. And so I do think that that's there for him. I do think that there's a possibility that he could be a, a top half quarterback in the Big 12. And I think the interesting thing about Daniels is if he keeps making more plays like that, it's the sort of thing that people are going to notice and say, okay, this isn't, you know, a traditional Kansas guy who, who's on the all big 12 team because somebody's got to make tackles somewhere or somebody has to get some offensive yardage somewhere. They're going to look at it and say, "Man, that was that was a pretty legitimate throw there that that anybody would like to have on their team." And Jalen Daniels is capable of making those sorts of throws and those sorts those sorts of plays. Well, it's a battle of of Jay Daniels this week. Uh, oh, wait, wait, this could actually be fun. Um, all right, we're going to play a game of. We typically have reserved this for Jesse Newell, but um, I'll let you in on it. Kiss, Mary, kill with JT Daniels, the West Virginia quarterback. Jalen Daniels, the quarterback for KU, and Jaden Daniels, the quarterback for LSU. Who's the king of the? I'm going to go with. Uh, I'm going to go with Jay Daniels in all three spots. No, I. <laughs> I think you know. I, I think you know. Kiss would probably be um, Jaden Daniels at, at LSU. I, I think he did some really impressive things, despite you know running for his life. For, for a lot of the night, I think that Mary would be Jalen Daniels at this point. Yes, I'm I'm saying that Jalen Daniels is the best of the Jay Daniels at that point. Um, and, and JT Daniels, I thought he did some nice things. Uh, one of the interesting things about West Virginia's passing game, Derek, is it's been sort of a multiple systemic failure over the last few years. And what I mean by that is, as much as everybody wanted to put it on, on the quarterback or say it was this or that, they never protected the quarterback well. And I think two years ago, I think it was two years ago, they led college football in drops. And so even when they got JT Daniels and you said, hey, here's a guy who's playing at a high level, it wasn't like you solved every facet of that passing game. And I think we saw some of that against Pittsburgh where – JT Daniels generally played, you know, pretty solid, I feel like, to, to fairly well. I didn't think he played as well as I've seen him play at times. But 
they didn't really protect him, you know, extremely well, and he was let way down by drops. And so I do think that that West Virginia passing game, even if if JT Daniels is the guy, you know, that, that's going to be a significant upgrade at quarterback for them, I'm not sure they have the other pieces around him to, to really make sure that, that he hits on as high a level as he possibly could. Well, KU takes on West Virginia on Saturday. How do you see that matchup playing out? Yeah, I've thought all along that this is a major trap game for West Virginia, and I was uh, I was actually at the the Lawrence High Olathe South game when they were playing Pitt, and somebody had asked me, you know, what would be the best possible outcome for Kansas, and I said, you know, a loss to Pitt in as devastating a way as possible, and I, I think that's pretty much what happened. You know, when you when you look at, at the way that, that it happened, it, and I think that this is a game that because Kansas had Texas, Tennessee Tech, excuse me, Kansas was maybe able to game plan for a little bit of this in the preseason. I think is the Big 12 opener. It's a game that Kansas has had circled probably for a little bit of the preseason. And I think that because West Virginia opened with Pitt, there hasn't maybe been that energy or that emphasis on the other side. And so I do think this is a little bit of a trap game. I would pick Kansas to, to cover. I think it's, is it 13 or 13 and a half right mm-hmm. now? Depends where you're getting and it. it. Yeah. And, it, and if you're covering at that point, you're in a position to pull off an, an upset. And so I do think that, that Kansas has a real chance to, to go to, uh, to Morgantown and pull out a win this week. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work at 24-7 Sports and with CBS Sports as well. Kevin, I appreciate the time as always, man. All right, thanks a lot, Derek. All right, that's Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, one to go. We'll get to some more KU football week one talk on the other side. This is RCST. Five o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we're going to be joined by Jesse Newell to talk Chiefs from the Kansas City Star. We're also going to get into our NFL season-long betting preview. NFL starts up on Thursday. That's exciting. And we actually have a good Thursday night game, too. I, I know, and honestly, I feel like the hype for the start of NFL season has been a little less this year mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I don't know if it was I don't know if it's because just in Kansas. I feel like the the legalization of sports betting like really emphasized college football, like college football sports betting, all this stuff, right? And meanwhile, the NFL has just been kind of going along, and now it's here. And but I don't feel like in in years past it's been much more pronounced the hype for NFL. I don't think we're quite there yet. Which yeah, is, which is interesting. Yeah, but I think that'll definitely feel back when we have because that's a really good game, Buffalo against the the Rams. Great way to kick off the season. So KU takes down Tennessee Tech once again. They just physically were dominant in that game over Tennessee Tech. Uh, you saw it on the stat sheet. You saw it if you watched the game. They ended up at almost 10 yards per carry. It was absolutely ridiculous. This is what's crazy, too. KU was minus three in the turnover department, and they still won the game by that much. They didn't force a single turnover. KU out-yarded them. They had over 500 of them, and they gave up less than 200. Here could be uh, some... This is from the KU game notes. These could be like future... RCST uh, trivia 
type of things. I mean, these are these are tough on there. It's Pay well, attention. The fifty six points scored by KU is the most in a season opener since the seventy six, or I'm sorry, since nineteen twelve. The fifty six is the most in a game at home for KU since scoring seventy six against Nebraska in two thousand seven. Kansas had five sacks. That's the most in a season opener since two thousand four. The Jayhawks didn't punt in the win. And also, KU had over 500 yards of offense while allowing the 190. The last time KU posted more than 500 yards of offense while allowing less than 200 was 2007 against Southeastern Louisiana. Uh, Kansas also gained over 10 yards per play. That is the best by a KU team since at least 1995 when it began tracking. I didn't realize that KU did not punt. Didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, special team, that was, was interesting. Special teams was certainly a uh, adventure up and down. I mean, you had the missed yeah. field goal. You had the, the muff punt by Luke Grimm. You also had the block kick that turned into a touchdown the other way. Overall, if you look at Pro Football Focus, they're a top 10 special teams graded unit right now. So that's uh, certainly kind of interesting. But I, I think when you parse this up, like, let's forget the special teams here. I just want to break this down. Let's take a look at the offense. Let's take a look at, at the defense and, and some, I guess, takeaways here. I think when you look at it, both quarterbacks were were really solid for KU. Uh, it was just super efficient. Very few incompletions. You had the deep ball from Jalen Daniels that Kevin was talking about to Quentin Skinner. Perfectly thrown ball. The Jason Bean pass, where it was his only pass. He's rolling to the left, the opposite side of his body, and, and throws kind of a dart on an intermediate throw. Like That was really good as well. It was just overall really good. You did have the one, uh, I guess, bugaboo with Jalen Daniels throwing the interception, and it wasn't just like, a, oh, that guy made a great play. It was He threw it into triple coverage and like <laughs> didn't see the guy there, which that'll give you flashbacks to lots of, of KU quarterbacks of old. So that wasn't great, but I, I think everything else, like it was, it was just solid from the quarterbacks. I'm not sure how much we learned, though. Yeah, I, yeah, I kind of. Uh, it was Matt Tate that was we talked to earlier was saying, you know, how much do you really want to read into this? And I, I'm kind of of the opinion of that too. Like Jalen Daniels played really well and made some really great throws. He did have that one throw into triple coverage. And what people maybe forget is this was Jalen Daniels' fourth career start mm-hmm. on Friday. His fourth career start. So I'm, I expect there's probably going to be some times this season where he might make some plays like that where he just you know makes a bad decision, throws it into double coverage, throws it into triple coverage, whatever, especially early in the year because this is still a young guy. This is still a young player who started three games at the end of last season. He did have a full off season with the with the playbook and with Lance Leipold and with Andy Kolenicki, but that was his fourth start that we saw against Tennessee Tech. So I, I wasn't – I mean, obviously it was disappointing to see, but – I'm not going to be surprised or shocked by if if we see some a little bit more of that in the first part of this season because I mean what's the one thing about young quarterbacks that have a lot of confidence? What's the one thing that they are always doing? They're always looking to make plays. They're always looking to to they always trust themselves more than maybe they trust what they're seeing with their eyes. Sometimes they trust their talents more, right? So those kinds of plays, I I expect. We're probably going to get a couple of those, maybe, over the course of the, of the first half of the season. Now, obviously, hopefully, as Jalen Daniels continues to mature, he gets more starts under his belt. That that will, those will go away. But that wasn't that play wasn't like a oh, oh my god, we need to be worried about Jalen Daniels because he threw it into triple coverage. Under, no, you know, whatever, right? You know, no, I don't think we need to make more of it than than what it is. And I think yeah. that kind of applies for both the good and the bad in a game like that. Yeah. All the running backs were great offensively in that game. Devin Neal, just ridiculous. Four carries for over 100 yards in the game. He had half of his carries go for rushing touchdowns. 
But it was it was really all the running backs that, that showed stuff. Now, Kai Thomas, the stats didn't look good. Uh, what, like seven carries for like 15 yards, 15 something like yards. that? Yep, 15 yards. That wasn't great, but I also think it was it was just unfortunate. Like, if you watch that game, it felt like the very few times that KU's offensive line wasn't able to create a big hole. It just happened to be every time Kai Thomas was in there. Like, I think of the one play that just sticks out the most. Actually, there were two. There was one where he, he had the ball in like an inside handoff, and he like made this really good jump cut, and he evaded like two guys, and then it was like a one-yard gain. And there was the same thing. He had a uh, little pass in the I, – I know this didn't count to the rushing stats, but just adding to the example here. He caught a pass on a little dump down in the flats from Jalen Daniels, and he's running to the left, and he breaks two tackles, and it's a one-yard gain. <laughs> so, like, that's kind of how I felt. I, I felt like that even there where the stats didn't maybe look great for Kai yeah. Thomas, it was still a good game for him. He just maybe didn't have the blocking that those other guys did. But, like, Daniel Hyshaw, every time that guy touches the ball, he wants to just run someone over. It is so fun to watch. Even on the touchdown he had, like there's a yeah. there's a DB he was just, like six yeah, yards into the end zone, yards, yeah, and he just he's just standing there minding his own business, and then Daniel Hyshaw just <laughs> runs like right into him and pulls him over. Uh, Savion Morrison, you saw some of the really good like juke moves and cutting ability and the speed that he possessed in the open field. I think really good performance from the running backs. Yeah, I think most KU fans probably wanted to see more of Devin Neal, but you're playing an SCS opponent, you didn't really need to show him off that much. But but yeah, I mean obviously the talk is KU has all these really talented running backs, but. To me, it's pretty clear that Devin Neal is still head and shoulders above everybody else right now just in terms of pure talent and yeah. ability. I mean, he's so good. So good. And, and like Kevin Flaherty said, I think rest of the season, hopefully we're looking at Devin Neal getting 15 to 20 touches a game. Well, and by the way, even though he only had the four carries, if you look at snap counts, Kai Thomas, Daniel Hyshaw, Savion Morrison were all pretty similar. Thomas had 13, Daniel Hyshaw had 11, Savion Morrison had 8. Devin Neal played 22. So like like you you were saying, I, I think all those guys are pretty close together. But yeah. Devin Neal is the number one. Yeah, yeah, as, as he should be, as he should be, based on what we saw with him getting the ball and whatnot. And and yeah, I was really excited about Daniel Highshaw again. He was a guy that Lance Leipold pretty vehemently defended in the preseason. You know, where there was uh, there was a question asked to him about guys getting recruited over guys, and he Lance Leipold kind of jumped on him and was like, "Hey, you know, this guy's really good too." And we saw some of that as well. So. Yeah, I think it's really exciting. Obviously, we talked about it. This is expected to be KU's strength, and it was. And early in the game, we also saw some interesting formations involving those guys. There was a, a diamond formation out of the pistol with Jalen Daniels, and he had he had Devin Neal to one of his sides and Savion Morrison behind him and Kai Thomas I think, was on the other side. So there's definitely going to be – I think we'll probably see more of that as well, of getting those guys on the field at the same time because they're also dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I mean, I think – Unless Quentin Skinner really turns into this big-time deep threat burner guy, you're looking at the running backs being your quote-unquote home run hitters in terms of ability, right? So you want as many of those guys probably on the field as you can at the same time. So it, it, it was exciting, and Devin Neal obviously was fantastic. Kai Thomas, as you said, the stats didn't look good, but I, he played well. And so I, I think it was really exciting, and it's really exciting in, from the sense of there's been times in the past where KU has had really good players, and then if they weren't producing or if they were off the field, you just got the sense of, okay, well, here's a, here comes a, a, a zero-yard game or a negative play. And now I think that won't be the case this year, certainly at the running back position. Yeah, uh, they were all really good. As far as receivers, like you had the, the nice stretch with LJ Arnold's, um, Luke Grimm, you know, did some stuff. Obviously, I think more notably was was kind of the punt return muff there. 
Quentin Skinner, it was it was just the one catch, but I, I think that sticks out the most from the receiver position, and he'll yep. continue to have opportunities. He continues to look like the guy that's going to fill in as that like deep ball threat with Graham and Arnold and the tight ends and yep. running backs being more the the short receiving and intermediate guys. I remember Tanaka Scott was only suspended for this for this first game yes. versus Tennessee Tech. So no, he's I don't not know. listed on the two deep yet, but yeah, I think I that's probably the coaches saying you got to earn your spot back. Yeah, I don't know how much he's going to be playing early in the season, but he's. For all intents and purposes, he's back with the team. Everything's fine for him. So at some point, you figure he'll probably be working his way back in, you would think. But obviously, I think, to your point, he's probably going to have to earn back a trust a little bit, probably, uh, with some of that other stuff. And so, you know, that's something to keep an eye on, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, The tight ends. Mason Fairchild played a lot and uh, had the only catches from the tight end position. He had the touchdown as well. Trevor Cardell didn't play, um, so, you know, not working out there with with injury or whatever was going on. Uh, we saw a little bit of Tavita Noah, especially as the game went on. I'll say this, though. Like, Jared Casey didn't play as many snaps as Mason Fairchild, and he didn't have any catches, but he might have impacted the game more than any of the other tight ends there. He set some of the biggest blocks. You go back and watch some of the clips of the KU touchdowns and some of the runs. He's setting the biggest block of the play. He wasn't just being used as a tight end. He was being used in that kind of like H-back, fullback role that maybe is coming in motion, is setting a big block, is setting the edge. Um, I was really impressed with what Jared Casey was able to do. But to be clear, with both Casey and Mason Fairchild, both those guys did really well blocking, and I think that's really important. Obviously, for for the system this offense wants to run, getting those running or, or those tight ends on the field uh, as much as you possibly can. They have to block to be able to to make that a, a viable option. And Fairchild struggled in the blocking game a season ago. Well, he was one of your best-rated blockers on Pro Football Focus in the first game. Jared Casey was your highest-rated run blocker on the first game uh, in terms of what he was able to do on Pro Football Focus. So he got really good numbers there. Tavita Noah was good in the blocking game, as you'd kind of expect, because that was the, the scouting report on him. Um it was it was nice to see them use all the different tight ends in different situations, and it actually lead to an impact in a positive way. Would you be surprised if we saw some formations where Jared Casey was a fullback or was lining up more in the backfield? No, I don't think so. At all? I don't think so. I mean, you're talking about a guy he's listed at six feet tall, might be closer to five ten, five foot eleven, right? Um, Sometimes when you think of tight ends, you think of more of the guys who are 6'4", 6'5", because they're going over the middle of the defense and it's easy for the quarterback to kind of loft one up to him. I think it makes perfect sense to use him in that kind of multiversal role. I think he played running back in high school, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and like I said, if you're, if he's going to be a lead blocker, line up in the pistol and put him next to Jalen Daniels and run right behind him with Devin Neal or whoever. You know? mm-hmm. Okay, let's get to the final one, the offense. We're going to have to do the defense uh, on tomorrow's show because we're, we're almost out of time on this segment here. The offensive line, as I mentioned, I thought this was a physically dominant performance from KU, so that obviously has to start with the offensive line. It was clean. Tennessee Tech didn't have a single sack. They had only two tackles for loss, which would have been the lowest of any mark that KU allowed last season. Um, they opened up huge. I mean, the the Devin Neal rushing touchdown, the 80-yard rushing touchdown on that stretch play to the right, I mean, that hole was gigantic. And some of the holes that they opened up, and this partially goes, you look at the tight ends kind of adding in here as well. Like Dominic Pooney making his his first start. Like, he looked really good. And we've had all this talk about, yeah, but it's it's Tennessee Tech. Well, that becomes less of a, a story for Dominic Pooney because Dominic Pooney was playing D2 ball last year. 
So for him to make, this is actually a step up in competition who he was playing against uh, Tennessee Tech, and he was KU's highest rated pass blocker. He was their second highest rated run blocker in that game. I thought the offensive line did well, and, and when the offensive line is not a story in a negative way, usually that means they did well. Does West Virginia's performance defensively against Pitt concern you at all heading into this Tennessee Tech game? They had five sacks. They completely stopped the, the Pittsburgh running game. 76 yards rushing for Pittsburgh in that game. Heard from Tony Carditi, the voice of, of West Virginia, talking a little bit about that. But, but yeah, I mean, does that scare you at all? Does that concern you? I think it has to. I mean, those uh, that's five sacks against Pittsburgh offensive line that say whatever you want about Pittsburgh's offensive line. Like, you might not think they're very good. You might think that they didn't look... Coming into the year, Pittsburgh was supposed to have a better offensive line than Kansas. Top 20 I, I, team. Right, yeah. exactly. Um, so, yes, that is concerning. Now, maybe you chalk that up to... Obviously, offensive line is going to have more to gain as the season goes on just by playing together, establishing that chemistry, getting the feel for the game because, you know, there's certain positions where with there not being as much hitting and stuff in, in practices nowadays that's allowed... The offensive line like needs to get those game reps, so that could be problematic that you played a solid defensive line in the first game that maybe if that game happens in week six or week seven, it's only three sacks, uh, which isn't as big of a deal. I mean, it's still not a number you want to allow. Um, so, But yes, yes, it is concerning, I think, from a standpoint of just you're playing a good opponent, but yeah. maybe West Virginia's sitting there going, man, that's concerning that their offensive line looked good, and, and maybe that'll be kind of a neutral um, matchup. I think you look at that West Virginia defense, though, and say that's one of the strengths of their team. Yeah, for sure. So if your offensive line can even neutralize it a little bit, that's probably a win for KU, even if the West Virginia defensive line is better. Yeah, absolutely. Because we talked about it before the KU game last week from that Thursday night game from West Virginia and Pitt. Yeah, the, I, besides the defensive line, the rest of the West Virginia defense was not – there wasn't anything that made you go, whoa, these guys are really good. The secondary wasn't didn't do anything crazy – Linebackers didn't do anything crazy. I mean, it was really the D line that asserted themselves in that game and and you know made some plays. And but like I was but like I was saying earlier about that game was even with West Virginia's D line getting all that pressure and playing that well, Pittsburgh still had a number of plays I can think of already on one hand where they got guys open running down the field by using play action. They got they took advantage of opportunities even still with West Virginia's offensive defensive line playing as well as they did on the stat sheet. Pittsburgh still had opportunities, and they still had some chunk plays that they were able to get out of it by using play action and whatnot. So I, so even if West Virginia's defensive line is, again, playing really well against KU, I think there's some things Andy Kolnicki and, and Lance Leipold could take away from that Pittsburgh game watching the film and say, okay, these guys really struggled against play action on a couple of different occasions. Can we can we take advantage of that if our run game is, is being successful against against an aggressive D-line like West Virginia? Mm -hmm. He is Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll get to the defensive breakdown coming up on tomorrow's show. This is RCST on FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. My college football playoff rankings next. Welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Venue 1235 is a perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering. Venue 1235 has you covered, located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Coming up on tomorrow's show, Jesse Newell will join us. We have some Lance Leipold audio we'll share for you on tomorrow. It always makes things a little more jam-packed when we have a shortened week like this. I'm not complaining. I'd be all about, you know, four-day weeks for for life, uh, like they do in, in some European countries, right? You can't complain right? about four-day weeks. No, no, not at all. So I, I don't mean it from that standpoint, but certainly from a standpoint of, 
you know, typically we're doing all our weekend recap on Monday, and then we have audio on Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. But we're we're pushing basically two days worth of stuff into one day today, so it's going to bleed over a little bit tomorrow. Um, we'll get to that KU defensive breakdown as well. But it is that time on a Tuesday now, normally on a Monday. i got to get to my college football playoff rankings. Cue the music, Nick. And by the way, I do want to make mention, the leader for the Heisman Trophy right now is Lonnie Phelps' dad. Okay. Did you see this? I don't think I saw whatever you're referencing. Okay, so Lonnie Phelps obviously was amazing in the game for KU. He was. Um, he had seven tackles that led the team. He had four tackles for loss that led the team. He had three sacks that led the team. He apparently wasn't playing well enough during the game, and he looked back into the stands, essentially. Oh, I did see this, actually. And his dad was like, you got to pick it up. This wasn't good enough. And he did. He picked it up. It was good enough. <laughs> and Lonnie Phelps is your leader, uh... Or Lonnie Phelps' dad, I'm sorry, is is your leader for uh, Heisman? Because look at the motivation he had. Right, or does ready. that make him coach of the year? I don't know. Are we starting the rankings? Yeah, let's okay, do it. All right. Okay. I, I couldn't find the death metal music, <laughs> so I played some other one, but I want the death That's metal. That's okay. Okay, so we got the right music now. All right. Number eight, Nevada. Nevada was in it, I want to say, number five last week. They drop a little bit, but they're still on there. They're 2-0, two, and oh, two okay. wins. Okay. How many wins does Alabama have? They only have one. Exactly. They only Nevada have one. has multiple of those. So imagine that. Uh, wait, who did they even beat last or on Saturday? Uh, they beat Texas State, oh, okay. thirty-eight to fourteen. Okay. They have two wins. They have one win on the road. Yeah. Alabama does not have a win on the road. They Alabama sure does not have two wins. I'm just telling you right now, Alabama's not in this top eight. <laughs> Nevada is because if you extrapolate that out, who are you taking to make the playoff? Are you? Are you? Because again, if we just extrapolate that, Nevada would be twenty-four and zero. Alabama would be twelve and zero. I'm taking the 24-0 team. More wear and tear. I was, you lost me for a second on how you got the 24-0, mm-hmm. but I, I caught up. Math. Okay. I, I know you're not good at math. I, listen, <laughs> if you ask me to do math in the first like two segments of the show, it's not happening. Okay. It's literally not happening. Number seven on the list. Um, this team was, I want to say, no, they were unranked. They didn't play in week zero. Just kidding. SMU is in at number seven. They beat North Texas. North Texas was our previously fifth-ranked team, so I think Nevada might have been sixth. I don't know. I got all messed up there. SMU not only beat North Texas, they beat them 48-10, to and that's a top-five victory because North Texas was ranked number five last week. Yeah, okay. So there can't be any complaints there. No complaints. Okay. I am I am a little questioning the integrity of the poll, though, because you can't seem to remember where you even ranked that. <laughs> So I you know I've got I, some questions about the integrity. I changed my format of of how I have listed these these playoff rankings, and I forgot to put where they were ranked last week. It's an error that I'll get fixed for next week. The committee uh, is the, not the committee's working on it. Yeah, the committee is uh, not perfect. Oh, I, I, nobody's perfect. I understand. <laughs> okay, number number six. See, I almost just lost track of where I even was. <laughs> number six is the Georgia Bulldogs. Defending national champions. Now, it's a new season. They don't get bonus points for winning the national championship last year. But they do get bonus points for just demolishing Oregon. I mean... That was a sad game. It was a sad game because it was like... It was one of those where even you walk in, like it was a 17-point spread, and you were like, okay, Georgia's probably going to beat them pretty bad. Yeah. Maybe Oregon can make it close for a little. No. Not at all. Not at all. Did you see Kirby Smart in the post game? What did he say? I mean, it was one of those things where it was very truthful, but like... 
It's just one of those things that doesn't get said. He was he was talking about Dan Lanning, the defensive coordinator from Georgia, who went over to Oregon and is now their head coach. And he was like, um, you know, if if you ask him, he he won't tell you because he's going to support your guys. But deep down, he knows we have better players. And he's like, just give him some time to get the players in there. You know, <laughs> he's basically <laughs> just like clowning on. Yeah, Oregon sucks. <laughs> They got a couple good players, but no, they're not very good. Like, good luck with that. <laughs> um, but Georgia looked really good. They crushed Oregon. The offense, Stetson Bennett went from being like 80 to 1 to win the Heisman after week one to being like 20 to 1 now. Well, that's because he's got mm-hmm. the tight, he's got two of the greatest tight ends I've ever seen <laughs> play football. He's got to throw two <laughs> yards, and then they just run for like 40. I know. He doesn't even do anything. It's great. It's great. That's the perfect example of like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't just automatically give the Heisman to a quarterback who puts up great numbers. Because maybe he can be just a game manager, but if you're a game manager on With Georgia... the greatest team of exactly. all time. No, like Kirk Herbstreit, I think, said in the broadcast, he was like, yeah, this, you know, I don't know, it's one of the best, like, tight end rooms or, or something like that. I, yeah. I don't remember what yeah. he said. Okay, uh, in at number five is Florida State. Florida State was ranked last week. They move up in the poll. They are now 2-0 and on the season. Remember, they beat Duquesne in week one, 47-7. They did. They added the LSU win on Sunday, which it wasn't great the way that one finished. Doesn't inspire a lot of confidence that they even allowed it to get to that point. But then LSU misses the, or I guess gets the PAT blocked is the better way of putting it. Um, but they blocked it, and they are 2-0. and Georgia's not 2-0. and And yes, you could say... Georgia blew out Oregon more than Florida State blew out LSU. Okay, but that's not taking into account Florida they State blew, blew out, out Duquesne. Oregon more than they mm. blew out Duquesne, though. Barely. What do you mean barely? But Florida State has forty nine to three top versus forty seven well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Georgia over Oregon is better than Florida State over Duquesne, but then you they have the second the win. win for Florida okay. State, right? It's on neutral, technically neutral field, but really on the road. It was not against a, LSU. No, it was. Yeah. Okay. This is super dumb. I mean. Yeah. There's way more LSU fans than there yes. were Florida State oh, fans. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It, it was like the – well, you can make the same argument for Georgia. Mm-hmm. Georgia played the neutral site game in Atlanta. It yeah. was like 98% Georgia fans. All right. I got to go quick here for the top four. Number four in the playoff, Vanderbilt. They dropped a little bit, but they're still in the playoff. They are 2-0 and on the season. They're averaging over 50 points per game, one of a few 2-0 and teams. They do get dinged a bit for a close Elon win, but body of work. 2-0, and over 50 points per game. Easy done. Number three, Southern. Southern is one and zero. They got an eighty-six to Wait, nothing win. Southern, Southern what? Southern. They're just Southern. <laughs> they play in the South. They're uh, an HBCU. They scored the most points that any HBCU has scored in the two thousands, and okay. they got a shutout. So best okay. offense, best defense. They're in at number three. Number two is Marshall. Marshall is one and zero on the season, but they are the only team that ranks in the top five in yards per game offensively. And yards per game allowed defensively. They had a dominant win over Nickel State, which remember that Nickel State was the team that beat Missouri in the 2012 NCAA tournament. So bonus points there. Ah, yeah. Uh, okay. Do you know where Southern is? The South. I don't without, know. <laughs> without Googling it. No, I don't know without okay, Googling well, it. That's fine because I don't either. I Apparently, was, I, it's I, in. I, I was trying to make it. Oh, like, I love this. What? It is in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Really? They are the best school in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, they you won eighty six nothing. Yeah, you put them of course. Above LSU. Yeah, wow. Look that's how that impressive, out. man. That's what Florida State. That's who Florida State should have really played. Southern. Okay, the number one team moving up from last week. 
Nebraska if Scott Frost doesn't onside kick against Northwestern. They won last week in their FCS game. If they don't onside kick against Northwestern, they're 2-0, and they have a Power 5 win under their belt. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. I was going to be curious as to, because in last week's ranking, I think we had like three references to Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering how many <laughs> how many Nebraska, mm-hmm. uh, how many iterations of Nebraska would be in the ranking. Just one for Just now. One. Just one. For now is the key word there. <laughs> Key phrase. This has multiple words. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That's my college football playoff rankings. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.